0: Well today, we turn away from other things to focus our attention on the resurrected Jesus. For many weeks, we have been looking at the betrayal, the trials, the crucifixion, and now we look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Excuse me. Talking this morning, we're speaking of historic realities There are many ways that you can look at the resurrection, but we're looking at it this morning for what it is, which is a historic reality. We're not talking this morning about the power of positive thinking, and we're not talking about what Jesus means to you. We're talking about what really happened and what it really means to the world. In his death, Jesus really satisfied the justice of God, and he really did die. And it was a temporary victory for he who has come to steal and to kill and to destroy, but it was not a lasting victory. And so we're going to read this morning from Luke chapter 23, verses 50 through 24, verse 12. Luke 23, uh, verses 50 through 24, 12. So I would ask you, as is the tradition of this church, to honor the Lord as we read his word. Please stand with me. Luke 23:50. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. He was looking for the kingdom of God, and this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, and then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid, and they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus And returning from the tomb, they told all those things to the eleven and all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with whom I told these things to the apostles. Verse 11, but these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. And Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen clothes by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. This morning, I want to press upon you the reality of a man coming back from the dead. Jesus Christ, in the scriptures, is twice verified as dead, is embalmed here, laid to rest in a tomb for three days, and then is resurrected to live forever, winning a victory over sin and over death justifying and giving eternal life to all who believe in his name. Paul camps out on this in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 20, and spends a long time in a logic chain that is very important for us to recognize as we think about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Paul says this, "...if Christ is not raised, then there is no general resurrection." There is no resurrection for anyone else if Jesus himself was not raised. There is no eternal life if Jesus himself does not have eternal life. If Christ is not raised, then our faith has no real object. Our preaching, my preaching, what I'm saying to you this morning, if Jesus Christ is not raised from the dead is foolishness. I am wasting your time. We're all wasting our time here this morning if Jesus has not actually risen from the dead. That we, that I am a, as a minister, am actually misrepresenting God if Jesus has not raised from the dead. If Christ is not raised, then we are still in our sins. If Christ is not raised, all those that have died before in faith have actually perished and are not in heaven if Jesus has not been raised. Because if he has not been raised. Then there is no power over death. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15:19. If in Christ we have hope in this life only. We are of all people most to be pitied. If Jesus is not raised from the dead and there is no eternal reality of life in Christ, then Christianity has no actual reality to it. It's only a distraction or a, a lovely fiction, if you will, that helps us in this life only. And there are many people that view Christianity as something that's only for this life. They never talk about eternal life because it's not something that they're considering. But biblical Christianity is about eternal life. It's not a coping mechanism for this life. And so I declare to you today as Paul declared thousands of years ago and as many millions of Christians have declared over 2,000 years that Jesus Christ did in fact raise from the dead and that Christianity is a living and true reality. That Jesus appeared to many witnesses I hope that as you come this morning that you will come back next week because we're actually going to be talking about the resurrection for the next three weeks because there's lots in the Bible about the resurrection of Jesus and his appearance to many after he comes out from the grave. And then there's his ascension to heaven and he is now seated at the right hand of God the Father in glory, our advocate our merciful high priest. He is our resurrection and life, and he has sent his Holy Spirit to reside in our hearts and be with us today. And so in discussing these things, I want to, to take a step back to something that I feel like is really important, a little historical trip that is, will help us, I believe, in what we're looking at this morning, because many people have heard these things over and over. And they've somehow become old to them, and they've become callous to them. But almost 100 years ago in 1923, J. Gresham Machen published a groundbreaking book called Christianity and Liberalism. Ever since its publication, it has never gone out of print because its message is so radically important. At the time, Machen was the professor of New Testament Greek uh, at Princeton Divinity School, and there was a controversy raging in the 20s. The controversy was modernism versus fundamentalism. The modernists were those that said that the supernatural cannot exist because it defies regular and mathematically predictable actions of science. We cannot have supernatural things. And by the way, if you haven't been in this church before, supernatural is what it exactly means outside of the natural order of things. And you're going to see quickly that if if you're putting the, the blocks together here, Christianity is completely supernatural. It is something that is God outside the natural workings of things acting upon the world. And so there's a problem with the modernist. The modernist sees that we cannot or chooses to see or believes that we cannot have anything supernatural. But the Bible is a supernatural book from beginning to end. And all four of the gospels that speak about Jesus's life clearly and continuously portray him as a supernatural person. Something that he is constantly doing things that cannot be explained any other way than the outside action of God upon the world. Most specifically and especially the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. There even in this modern day with all of the medical wonders that we have, once a person is declared dead, nothing and no one can bring them back to life. And so only God gives life. It is something that is outside of the natural order of things. And so the solution for the modernist at that time was to downgrade the Bible, to take away the supernatural parts of the Bible and to make it only an inspiring work, something that has no actual truth behind it, but it is filled with instead inspiring lessons for our lives, and it's a guide to us if we choose for it to be, but it certainly is not authoritative in any way. And so Machen led the charge of the fundamentalists. Unfortunately, in our day and age, that word has become associated with legalism, but that's not what it meant back in that day. Back in that day, it was a group of people that said, we will not give up the fundamentals of Christian faith. We will assert and reassert historic orthodoxy, which is something I've been writing to you about in the newsletter for many months now, looking again at the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed is all supernatural. If you look at it, I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth. That's God as creator. It talks about the virgin birth, it talks about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it talks about the sending of the Holy Spirit, it talks about the second coming of Christ and the judgment of the living and the dead, all of which are supernatural things. You cannot be a historic Christian and cut out the supernatural nature nature of Christianity. And so the solution of this problem, if you will, for the fundamentalists was to loudly and continuously believe that we do have a real God who really acts and Jesus has really and truly resurrected from the dead. And so what I want you to hear from Machen this morning as we look at the scriptures and the resurrection of Jesus is that liberals have since then and down to this day continually presented Jesus as just the fairest flower of humanity or an exemplary person Or a person that was the the first person to live the Christian faith. Someone that followed after God and that we then follow in the example of Christ. But rejecting the supernatural nature of Christianity. There are millions of people in America. And perhaps many of you here today that view Christianity that way. For whatever reason, you do not accept the supernatural nature of the Bible. But the acceptance of the supernatural and God acting on this world, as revealed in the Bible, is the heart and soul of Christianity. You have to hear that. Machen says this, Jesus was not for Paul merely an example of faith, but he was primarily the object of faith. The religion of Paul did not consist in having faith in God like the faith which Jesus had in God. It consisted rather in having faith in Jesus so another way of saying that is that Jesus is not the example of our faith he is the object of our faith he is the one that we are believing in we are not following a system that Jesus taught we are following the person of Jesus Christ and if he is dead then there is no one to follow. But if he in fact did resurrect from the dead and he is in fact the son of God, then believing in him, our faith will not fail and it will not falter. And so Machen's ultimate argument was this. And it's the same argument that I am putting forward to you this morning. That if you reject the supernatural nature of the Bible by winking at it or mythologizing it or making it therapeutic or whatever you do to avoid its reality then you are not a Christian. And that's a hard thing to say, but it's the truth. If we cut out the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, we cannot be a Christian in any sense of what the Bible is teaching. We must accept what the Bible puts forward as supernatural in order to be followers of Christ. I go into such depth here to to press you this Easter, to hear the scriptures anew, And to contemplate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And to test yourself as to whether you really and truly believe these things. Because our eternity hangs upon it. It is vitally important. So let's look to the chapter. Let's look to the scriptures this morning in Luke chapter 23. As we see what is presented to us this morning. In verse 50, the first character that we come to is an important character in the Bible. Joseph of Arimathea. He is someone that is described in all four of the gospel accounts and he's described in great detail. And he's someone that we will be able to relate to this morning. Joseph of Arimathea was on the ruling Jewish council. If you've been with us for some weeks and looking back at the trials of Jesus, this is where the trial began, which was with the ruling Jewish council. They had come together to persecute Jesus and they actively sought his death. And so it should be shocking to us to see that Joseph of Arimathea was, in fact, on that ruling council. He was a respected member, he was rich, he was good and righteous and was looking for the kingdom of God, but it tells us in John that Joseph was a secret disciple of Jesus. Why was he secret? Because he was afraid of men. It said, because of the fear of men and those he was surrounded by that hated Jesus He believed in Jesus and sought the kingdom of God, but it was secretly in his heart. He's in the same boat with a guy named Nicodemus, which many of you are familiar with from John chapter 3, where Nicodemus came to Jesus, but not publicly, but at night by himself to ask questions because he didn't want to be seen. And Joseph of Arimathea represents many of us here today and many, many millions of people whose faith is true, but it is weak And it is weak because we are afraid of what the outside world will say of us. We're afraid of what our neighbors will say. We're afraid of what our co-workers will say. And we believe, but we do so secretly. But I tell you this morning that every person that falls into this category of a fearfulness of man, but a true faith. If your faith is in fact true, what will happen is what happens here with Joseph of Arimathea. That at some point God's Spirit will come upon you and you will be strengthened to break out of that secrecy and to break into the public and be unashamed of Jesus Christ. And the timing is different with every single person, but that's what happens here with Joseph and with Nicodemus. So Joseph. When all others shrink back and all others fade away, he is strengthened by God's Spirit to find his courage in the moment that it is needed. And it tells us that he did not consent to the death of Jesus on this council, which would have been a difficult thing. We've read about the ruckus of what this council was. And for someone to say, no, I disagree with this, took courage. And at the moment when everyone else had faded away, he goes to Pilate. And associates himself with Jesus, even in his death. When everything seems to have been lost, he asks for Jesus' body and shows loyalty and love for Christ in his death. And so Nicodemus and Joseph. Nicodemus is not recorded here in Luke, but he is elsewhere in the Gospels. That these two Jewish leaders, in their high position, take the body of Jesus. And because of love and because of honor... Because in any real sense of of what they thought Jesus might be doing, they thought it was over at that point. But because of a real and earnest love for Jesus and a desire to honor him, they come and they take his body and they embalm it with myrrh and aloes and wrap him in linen. And that tells us that Joseph laid Jesus in his own garden tomb and they roll a stone in front of it and they go away from the tomb, assuming that all that had happened before that that chapter was closed and they go out with Jesus dead. Verse 54 tells us that all this happens at the end of the day of preparation, which is the next to last day of the week, which would be Friday in our days of the week. But Saturday being the last day of the week, being the Sabbath day, the day of rest, it tells us in verse 56 that they did, the the followers of Christ continuing in the laws of the Lord rested on the last day or the Sabbath day. But the Jews who hated Jesus did not rest on that day. Matthew chapter 27 tells us that on that day they did this. In verses 62 through 66, the next day, that is after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said that while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. And Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers, go make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. So they go back to Pilate the next day. Hey, he said he was going to raise from the dead. So he was a fraud then, and we want to make sure this fraud isn't perpetuated. So give us a guard of soldiers. And they take, and they make the tomb secure, and they seal it, and they uh, seek to not allow the disciples to come and steal the body of Jesus away. This is what they're doing on the Sabbath day. In Luke 24, verse 1, At the first day of the week, we see a band of women disciples coming back to the tomb. And again, like Joseph and like Nicodemus, they have no hope of of what we are getting ready to talk about. They come to that tomb out of great love and devotion to Jesus. And it should not be missed that the 11 apostles are not here. There is something special about the devotion of these women to Jesus Christ. They have been devoted to him since the beginning. And Mary Magdalene, her name is mentioned often in this passage. She who was delivered from seven demons, she was forgiven much. And as the Bible says, he was forgiven much, loves much. And her love for Jesus was devout. And they were going to go and honor the death of Jesus by visiting his tomb as soon as they could the very next day after the Sabbath. And so they arrive at the tomb, but something has happened in the midst early in the morning. Matthew chapter 28 tells us that there was a great earthquake and an angel that descends from heaven like looking like lightning and terrifies these soldiers, these Roman soldiers, until they fall down the ground like dead men and then eventually flee the scene. And the angel rolls the stone back. And about that time, Mary Magdalene and the other women appear arrive at the tomb. And they see that the stone is rolled away and that the tomb is open. And they go into the tomb and they find nobody there, except they find two angels. And they address them. I'll read those words in just a moment, but I cannot help but think when we look at this, back to the very beginning of the gospel of Luke, and another faithful woman In Mary, Mary the mother of Jesus, who is visited by the angel Gabriel. Angels at the beginning with faithful women and angels at the end with faithful women. And so these women could have heard, you know they would have heard from Mary uh, about her being visited. And here they are at the opposite end of the life and ministry of Jesus, also being visited by angels, explaining to them God's actions and purposes. And so in verse 5, the second part of verse five, the angel says this, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and they remembered his words. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He has risen. We have heard these words over and over throughout our lives if you were raised in the church, but you cannot take them for granted. We have all been to funerals and these women had been too. they actually says in the other gospels that they stood and they watched, they saw what Joseph and what Nicodemus were doing. They watched the funeral, if you will, the embalming. And here they come back and the the, the tomb is empty. It's like going to someone's gravesite and the grave is dug up and there's an empty hole in the ground. And you say, what is happening? What is going on here? This is not something that is normal. And they're told by an angel that he has risen from the dead and they then remember words that he had said that he was going to do this and they couldn't comprehend them before but they're beginning to come together. And in great joy, They run back to tell the other apostles. But verse 11 is sobering. They come back. These women who have been with them, who they know are faithful, who they trust and have been with them throughout the ministry of Jesus, run back and tell them this good news of what they have seen. And it says in verse 11, But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Those are sobering words. The the gospel of John is clear. It is written all about that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And they did not believe the words that the women said. Here it's recorded in verse 12 that Peter runs to the tomb and elsewhere that John also joined him in going to the tomb. But Peter still does not believe. It says he marvels, but he is unclear as to what is happening here. And in some way, his devotion is not the same as the women. And so I take us back to where we started at the beginning of the sermon this morning, which is, what will you believe about the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? I want to read from you from the very first verses of the Gospel of Luke. We're now at almost the very end of the Gospel of Luke. But at the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, this is what Luke writes to every person that reads this Gospel and hears these words. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. I want you to hear That Luke wrote these things down so that every person reading it, which includes all of us here today, might have an eyewitness account, a clearly written account, that they might have confidence and certainty that what we are reading is a real and actual account of what happened that we might believe. But you need to understand that Luke's witness to us is similar to the witness of these faithful women to these apostles when the account comes to us, we will either believe or we will not believe. It will either come to us as an idle tale, something that some foolish person is making up, something for children, something for simpletons, or something that we believe. And so will you believe this morning on Easter Sunday morning? Or will you be counted with those that we have already read about this morning that whose hearts were hard? In Matthew 28 11 it talks about what happens to these fleeing guards and the guards fled back to these Jewish leaders that had sent them to guard this tomb and they say what happened and the hardness of these people's hearts if you remember what happens they, they break out the money bag again and say let's let's here, let's pay you off however much we need to pay you off so that you will go out and lie about this These are the same people, let me remind you, that said just one chapter before, as they ridiculed Jesus on the cross, let him come down from the cross. If he comes down, we will what? We will believe in him. And here he is alive from the dead, and they will not believe in him. Instead, they pay people off to go lie about him because their hearts are hard as stone in their hatred for Jesus. I don't know if there's anyone here this morning whose heart is like that. That you may look good on the outside, but on the inside, your heart is like a rock, and you hate Jesus. And your hatred for him grows and grows every year. And I pray for a brokenness of heart for you, that you will come back from this darkness and come back from this hatred of the one who has nothing but grace and mercy to show to you, because it was a devilish hatred of Jesus. And so we are in the same boat as has always been. Will we believe these things? will, Will we take them truly to heart, even though we have not seen Jesus and we have not touched his hands and we have not heard his voice? Will we believe the account of scripture? In this Easter, I pray that Jesus will give you the faith to believe in the reality of a supernatural resurrection and that you will have the courage to act on what you believe. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the joy of looking at the empty tomb of Jesus. But I pray that we will learn from the struggles that we have had in our own country and in other places, and many that say we cannot believe these things because they cannot be scientifically proven out, and they have no place for the soul, and they have no place for the God of the Bible And I pray that we would not be counted with those people, but that we would see that their explanation of the soul and of humanity, a soulless humanity, does not explain the wholeness of the human condition. We know that our hearts tell us that we have a soul, that there's something more to us than just physics and anatomy, that there is a soul in our hearts and our hearts long to know God. And we long to be forgiven of our sins and freed from the guilt that is so heavily upon us. And I pray this morning that we would believe in Christ Jesus, and that we would confess our sins to him, and that we would live our lives in courage for Jesus. Lord God, help us this morning. Bring to yourself those that do not know you, and those that are quiet or secret for the fear of man, that they would stand up boldly to follow Christ, that we might be counted with the risen Jesus. In Christ's name we pray, amen.